Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. So hi, hi again. So turn uh, Matthew chapter 5. So if you like Sarah and I, we like to uh, find TV shows, like to watch together. Uh, shows that we can dive in, whether it's we binge watch, whether it's uh, whatever it might be. Um, but one show that we like to watch, it was, I can't remember when it was. It was, pro- I don't know if the kids were born or Connor may have been little. Uh, but the show called Restaurant Impossible. Has anyone ever seen this show, Restaurant Impossible? So like three of us, that's cool. So if you don't know this, this show, I'll tell you about it. So there's a chef, his name is uh, uh, Chef Robert Irvin was his name. The best way I can describe this guy is to call, is to, to give, well he's basically like the British version of Dwayne the Rock Johnson, okay? He's, he's huge, he's muscular, he's very British. But he would go to these restaurants, and these restaurants were struggling. They were, whatever reason that might be, maybe uh, the food was bad, the staff was bad, uh, the atmosphere of the restaurant. Like, we've all been at restaurants where, like, the time we got there, the time we left, just wasn't a joyable experience, right? And so this guy, he would go to these restaurants, and he would basically do like you with these home makeover shows. He'd basically do it before restaurants. So he'd go in, he'd meet with the manager, he'd meet with the staff. They would rework the menu, they would... Uh, 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 help the staff, whether it might be repainting or redecorating, whatever it might be. By the end of the episode, you saw this huge line of people going out the door. Now, I'm sure that's not normal for them, but I'm pretty sure if you tell people, hey, come in our restaurant, you're going to be on national television, you could probably get a pretty good crew outside. But at some point in the episode, this chef, he would walk into the kitchen, and the chef would prepare a meal. And he would go take a bite. And most of the time, he did not enjoy the bite. So usually they bring a meal, they come out, and he'd eat it in his old British stuff. Like, oh, this is absolute rubbish. It's the best I got as far as British is concerned, okay? So y'all make fun of me later. I don't care. So he would call it rubbish because usually the food was bland. It tasted bad. There's no seasoning. The sauce was off, whatever it might be. But he would always tell people the same thing. Hey, just put salt, a little bit of pepper, and just season it. Like salt and pepper is better than nothing because if you've had bland food, it's not very good. But the one thing that we catch from this show was this, is that you and I, if the food is bland, the food is bad, you and I have very little to no value over this food. If you were to come over my house or come to your house, you go to a restaurant, where it might be, and you would take a bite out of bland, non-seasoned chicken, who's enjoying that bite, right? Not a single one of us. If you do, you are lying. It is gross, it's disgusting, it's, it's just bland. We have no value for it. Well, this morning as we dive into these law, this salt and light statements, what I want us to see is that you and I, if we are not as agents of the kingdom of God, if we are not impacting or affecting the world around us for the gospel of Jesus Christ, you and I are little to no value, right? Which sounds harsh. It does. But if we're not living up to what God has created us to do, to be salt and light, healing, if we're not living up to that, then you and I are little to no value. So if you have your Bibles, follow along with me. We're going to start in verse 13. It says this, You are salt of the earth, but the salt shall lose its taste. How can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. 
You are a light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, Lord, as we dive into your word, as we look at these salt and light statements, Lord, I pray that you open up our hearts and our minds to you, Father. Lord, like we said, the truth of your word may pierce us, Lord. Lord, as I, as I speak, Lord, I pray it's not me, but you who is speaking through me, Lord, that you will receive all glory and honor this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is a familiar text. We all recognize the text. We are familiarized with the text. If you've, you've had this text from the child, time you were a small child going to Sunday school through uh, the oldest adult, we've all had this text numerous amount of times. We get the text. We have the point of the text for you and I to impact the world for the kingdom of God. That is the point of the text. But it all starts with you and I believing that Jesus is worth everything. That he is worth our attitude. He's worth our thoughts. He's worth our words. He's worth our marriage. He's worth our job. He's worth our finances. He's worth the thing that we spend. It all starts with you and I believe that Jesus is worth everything. These salt and light statements, they are not a statements of wishy-washiness. This is an all-in on who Jesus is. We see in the Bible it talks about following Jesus. What this is implying is for you and I to completely empty ourselves of us, right, and give that over to Jesus so then we can become more and more like Christ. And the salt and light statements start there. We cannot impact the kingdom of, we cannot impact this earth for the kingdom of God if you and I are not willing to give Jesus everything that we have. That's where it begins. That's where it starts. And this passage is, is, is in part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It starts in Matthew chapter 5, goes through the end of Matthew chapter 7. And this Sermon on the Mount, it, the reason it's called that Jesus is literally, he's on a side of the mountain. He's just, he's speaking to these Jewish people, Right? And so picture with me, Jesus, he's on the side of this mountain. You have these people intently listening to the words that Jesus is speaking. Now what's important to note is this, anytime that Jesus would speak, uh, there were two types of people that would be present in while Jesus would speak. You'd have these what we call hearers, and you have what we call overhearers. These hearers, these would be the disciples, the followers of Jesus in his presence, the believers the overhearers would be the Pharisees, the doubters, the skeptics, right? The unbelievers. Those would be the ones who would fit on the category of overhearers. As a matter of fact, it's not just when Jesus teaches. Right now, it's, it's Sunday morning, so pastors all around this country are preaching the Word of God, we hope, right? And so anytime the Word of God is, is taught, the word, the word of God is preached, there are two people within the audience. You've got the hearers and the overhearers. Hearers, we are believers. Things uh, start to resonate with us. Things start to sit tight. As unbelievers, what it's because uh, we're overhearers, maybe because we're, 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 we, we doubt the Word of God, we're skeptic towards the whole Jesus thing, or maybe we just flat out just don't believe it. So we begin to miss the things that God has in store for us. And so Jesus is teaching this, uh, these salt and light statements, the same thing. You've got hears and you have overhears. But what the hears are going to get is this, is that we see that Jesus is calling us out to be salt and light to the world around us. And it starts from you and I celebrating all that Christ has done for us and all that Christ is to us. 
and the salt-like statements, it's us living out that celebration to all those around us. Jesus calls us to step out from where we are and into this world, all for the sake of making his name known. So the very first words we see in this passage is this, you are salt of the earth. In Roman times throughout middle, mid ages, middle ages, uh, salt was a hot commodity. It was often referred to as white gold. If you were in the salt business, if you were a salt dealer, they call them salt dealers? Sounds kind of, sounds kind of sketchy, right? right? I don't know if you should call them salt dealers. I'm the, got some salt, bro. Like, so salt dealers is probably not the right term. But if you were in, I get weird sometimes, y'all know this, but if you were in the salt business, you, you, you're making some money, okay? You are, you, whatever you're buying, selling, trading, man, you got the salt, you got the goods, you got what everyone wants. But this whole salt, you and I have a different purpose for salt. For them, it had multiple purposes, but one of the main purpose is that it would preserve. Uh, that was the main function. They would use it to preserve things. So how many of us are currently, or even know, uh, or get a salary or a wage? Right? Everyone's broke. Okay, so no one here, everyone has, no one's broke. <laughs> right? Everyone in this room has, at some point in their life, gotten a salary or a wage, right? Or you're currently getting one, which is good because we're going to talk about giving at the end of the service. Actually, I'm just kidding about that. Right? But here's the point I'm trying to make. During the this Roman time, Roman soldiers would often be paid with salt. Now that sounds kind of dumb because you and I were to wake up on payday and we go to our bank account as a direct deposit or we go to work to get our check or whatever it might be. And instead of receiving payment, they give us a jar of salt. We're not going to be like Jack Sparrow. I've got a jar of dirt. Like we're not going to do that. Like we are not going to be happy at all if we walk into work and they're like hey instead of you getting your paycheck we're going to give you salt we're going to have words with our boss man right like why pay like it has no value to you and i like it did to them but salt was the thing man you had to have salt because in a world that frigid air or whirlpool didn't exist you didn't have freezers this is how you preserved your meat this is how you preserved your fish right so where we like to stick our food in our freezers, it's wonderful. We stick them in there. It freezes. It keeps it nice. It keeps it tight. It's there when we're ready to thaw it out and cook it. But for them, if they wanted to preserve their meat and their fish, they had to use salt. Now, of course, freezers aren't often reliable. Uh, they often fall out, whether the power goes out, uh, maybe the freezer goes bad, or maybe you've done what I've done. You've left the freezer door open, right? You come home to what you could only describe as a pineapple and animal sacrifice right there on your kitchen floor, right? Because it has all gone bad. So they would use this salt to preserve. They would, keep, they would use this salt to hold, to keep things together. And what Jesus is saying in this text, he's saying you are the salt of the earth. You are to preserve you are to be a witness for me in this dark and dying world. A world that seems to be decaying and rotting. A world that keeps seeming to put their identity in anything but Jesus. God chooses us to be his witnesses here on earth. And to be salt means we are going to preserve that. We're going to preserve his word. We're going to preserve the teachings of Jesus 
And in doing so, we're going to show people, right, and point them to who the Redeemer and where our hope really truly is. It doesn't take much for you and I to look around this world and see just the darkness that is around. We don't have to look far at all. But God says, I'm going to use you, which by the way, God's plan was always use his people. That was always his plan. I'm going to use people. Why? We're idiots. I don't know why, but he chose us anyways. So I'm going to use you to be my witness, to impact this world, to be a preserver or who points to the one who preserves, right? He is wanting us to do these things. He says to the people who follow me, may May you remind everyone who you encounter of God's promises to humanity that we could point people to the hope of a Savior and to the redemption of a Redeemer. That is our goal. That is our purpose. That is what he has designed us to do. And then we get to this this question. It says, but the salt loses saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. <clears throat> the wording here is unique. Salt could not be made not salty. I'm sure there's some chemical way you could do it, but trying to explain chemical engineering to these first century shepherds is like trying to explain to them who Michael Jordan was to them. Right? You'd have better luck probably in a room full of third graders trying to explain chemical engineering. Uh, but Jesus in this passage is pointing out that if salt loses, loses its saltiness, it loses its ability to preserve. It loses the function in which the salt was meant to do. Now, there were ways to dilute the salt. And if you're a recipient of this diluted salt, then you had been rooked, you had been conned, you had been duped, right? Like, if you had diluted salt, the salt would not be able to do the very thing that it was meant to do. And what they would do is basically, so if you had salt that wasn't salty anymore, basically what you did is you took the salt and you dumped it out on the street. And if you were nice, spread around, but people just walk and trample on it. I don't even know what they're walking on. Just walking on, tramping on this salt. Not going to do anyone any good because it's lost its saltiness. It's lost its value. Imagine if you were, you're, you're having a group of people over for dinner. You're expecting 20 people over to your house for dinner, and it's spaghetti night. Anyone love spaghetti? It's easy to do, right, when you have a large group of people? So folks are starting to show up to your house. You've got the spaghetti noodles are boiling. They're about to done. You've got the garlic bread in the oven. Amen to that, right? Everyone's getting hungry. Everyone's, everyone's ready to dive into the spaghetti. You go because it's time to mix the sauce. So you're like, okay, let's mix the sauce. But you think you have three big jars of spaghetti sauce, but turns out you've only got one, right? You can always tell the person to cook. So they're like, oh, no, that's horrible. If you only have one jar and you are going to try to spread one jar to 20 people, it's not going to go good. So instead of going to the store, you decide, I'm just going to water it down and just spread it as best as I can, right? I've seen all the cooks, and they're just kind of like, oh, don't do that. If you were to water down that spaghetti sauce and water it down enough to stretch it to feed 20 people with one jar of spaghetti, and you go taste that spaghetti, it's going to be nasty, because you're living a lie, and you should never try to live a lie. The last thing you want to do is present something that's not genuine, that's not real. What Jesus is pointing out here is that there's this idea of this dilution or watering down. There's a notion where 
There's potential for believers to be so diluted and watered down by the things of this world that we do not serve in the function of preserving an idea that there is a great preserver. There's this idea that you and I can be so watered down with the things of the world. So watered down with what the world presents to us that we are watered down and diluted, that we lose our effectiveness in reaching people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus is pointing to when he says how if salt loses its saltiness, what's watered down, it's diluted. It doesn't have the ability to function the way it functions. So here's the question. Are we, are we a diluted people? And what does it mean to be diluted? It may mean that there are voices in our head that are consistently anti the notion of who Jesus is, and it might be time for us to rid ourselves of these voices, of these things that keep us from functioning the way that God intends for us to function. If we can look at our life and we can sit there and say, you know what, I'm not living up to where I think God would want me to be. I'm not matching up to what is taught in Scripture, and it's time for you to, to reevaluate our life, reevaluate the things that we, are, that we have going on and see where is it, God, that I need to uh, uh, prune and get rid of so that I may become more and more filled of you. And this point is, is not the point of like a left or right thing if you think in these terms. The point is here that if we would say it, it was in life, if things look like Jesus, smells like Jesus, things would be a thing of Jesus and there should be a hope for anyone, for his people. So really, if, if, if we think that in this life things look like Jesus, they are things of Jesus, then we should be about these things. If things don't look like Jesus, then we should not be about these things. Right? Because when we are about the things that Jesus is not about, we become diluted, we become watered down, we're not missing the mark in which Jesus would have for us to live. There's this quote I, I came a, across and before I read the quote, I want to understand something that we know for a fact where this world is. You don't take much. You can pull out your phone, turn on the TV, walk outside. It don't matter. You can just go, man, this world, not going good. But here's the point I want, us, I want us to think about real quick. You and I do not have the option of responding in a negative way towards how the world functions. I know that sounds weird. You and I do not have the option of responding negatively toward the way that we can think. We, we can think all we want, like, man, the world, it's not going well, things are not going good. We, we, yes, but how we respond to that, we do not have the option of, of responding negatively because you and I have this optimistic hope that we bring and offer to the world. Right? We point people to the Savior. There's this quote, and I want to read this quote real quick. And it says this, as Christians, I don't know who said this, I'm not taking credit for it. As Christians, we ought to have an optimistic hope, not because the world is okay, but because Jesus reigns. No matter how bad this world may get, no matter how bleak things may seem, no matter how, our, how stressful, how much worry, anxiety fills our, our brains, whatever it is, we know that Jesus still reigns, that Jesus still rules. And here's the point. If we really believe that, what are we doing about it? Right? If we truly think that man, Jesus still reigns, he still rules, right? But we leave it at that. We can claim it, but if we're not living it, we're, we're missing something there. We're missing the mark. This passage comes out of a big portion of Scripture. It's right before it. Called the Beatitudes. Again, 
famous passage we've all probably had since kids, Beatitudes, and it says this, starting in verse 3 of chapter 5 of Matthew, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. All these phrases is saying to someone who is in Jesus that you do not realize that the world does not get to define you. But you and I risk that when we allow the things of this world to infiltrate us, where we are watered down and we are diluted. And we miss the point of, of what Jesus actually has for us. And what Jesus actually has for us is what he's always had for us. But we don't understand this. What Jesus has for us isn't necessarily what the world has for us. Right? Jesus calls us to abandon ourselves, all for the sake of the gospel. The world tells you, do whatever that you want to do for the sake of yourself. So the world, what the world has for us and what Jesus has for us is completely different. But here's the cool thing, right? As much as the world has to offer, you and I get to look at the world and say, we have something that's bigger and better and more important than that. Whatever the best thing the world can show to us, we can say, Jesus is better. We can say those things. We, we, we all, listen, it's America, we like to commercialize things, right? We, we take this, Jesus is better. We sing them in songs, which is great. Hallelujah for that. We put them on coffee mugs, we wear them on t-shirts, put them on our church banners. Jesus is better. But do we really believe that? Because when we believe the words Jesus is better, our life would match up to that. But when we say that Jesus is better, but yet we're wanting to live our own thing over here, we don't really believe that. We like to say it because it sounds cool in a church setting. But to say Jesus is better means, Lord, you are better than what this world has to offer. Which means, Lord, here it is. Here it is. Take my life. Mold me however you want to mold me so that I can be the salt here on this earth. So we kind of end up right here in and Jesus begins to transition. He's got the, the, the salt part done, the salty. I got to do it, y'all. You got the salty part down. You got to li- move into the lit section of it, okay? Okay, whatever, whatever. So, matter of fact, it's really weird. I have a salty and lit t-shirt. I'm actually wearing it underneath this shirt because I said, why not? I actually almost wore it to preach him. I thought it made a little tacky, so I'll just wear it underneath. So anyways, there's your little tidbit. That's that not the only thing. You don't need that tidbit, but you have it, Right? So we've got done. Jesus already talked about being salt of the earth. Now he's going to transition into light of the world. And in verse uh, 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 14 says this, You are a light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. Light runs through the Old Testament. Jesus is prophesied. Jesus is referred to as light. Then Jesus gets on the scene, and he makes this 
this statement. I am the light of the world. And then, this, then, then we in this passage says, you are the light of the world. And I can see where, where maybe some confusion might take place, right? Like if Jesus claims he's the light of the world, then we are the light of the world. How is that really connecting? What are the dots that we're connecting there? If Jesus says it about himself, but then he says it about us. I see confusion. I, and I saw this, this quote. In those first few words of this quote, you're, you're going to be like, where is he going with this? But hang in there. Ready? Christ is not the founder of Christianity, nor is he the first professor of it, nor even the first Christian, but Jesus is Christianity itself, right? Which means this, everything is wrapped up in who the person of Jesus is. Everything, all of creation, the whole universe is wrapped up in who Jesus is. And there we find what Jesus is talking about with the light statements. Jesus is the light of the world. But he chooses to be you, for you and I to be his light unto the world. That's his plan. That's his mission. That's what he's chosen. And to say that Jesus is wrapped up in everything of all creation, everything is wrapped up in the person of Jesus, the question becomes, how much are you and I wrapped up in the person of Jesus? Is he a part of our everyday life? Is he a part of the decisions that we are needing to make? Or, or do we reserve Jesus just for Sunday morning? We reserve Jesus just for the times that we're gathered together here at the church. Or are we saying, Lord, you are so important. I am wrapping everything I have and I want you to be the focus of my life, not so much what I want, because what I want is, is often deceitful. Lord, may I be about what you want, what your plan is. Verse 15 says this, No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand that gives light for all who are in the house. When you light a light, you light it for everyone to see. When you pull that string on that lamp and it lights it in the house, the purpose is for everyone to see. You go outside, you turn on a flashlight, the purpose is to give light to see. So when you have a light on the house, it's meant for everyone to see. Y'all know the song, Hide It Under a Bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. Y'all know the song, I'm not going to sing it. Y'all don't want that, right? Brian's like, sing it, dude. You know, I'll rap it. Just kidding, don't do that, right? Weird. But we know the song, right? We have this light, hide it under a bushel, no. I'm not going to let Satan it out, I'm going to let it shine, right? It's this idea, and it comes from Scripture. It's a song we've sang since we're kids, and we can probably sing the whole song without any help from anybody. But the point is that we have this light, and the light is meant for everyone to see around us. And it's to point people back to who Jesus is. So the question that we ask is, are we someone who has countered the light of Christ? And then the question goes beyond that. If we've encountered the light of Christ, then how come you and I struggle to be the light of Christ? Like, there's the question. If we have encountered the light of Christ, how come we struggle to be the light of Christ in this dark and dying and decaying world? So think about back to your last week, month, or even better yet, let's just look back at your whole past year. Let's just jump back to 2022. I know we're a few months into 2023, but let's just jump into 2022. I want you to think about the encounters that you had 
coworkers, employees, employers, friends, family. Think about the people you have encountered that don't look like Jesus, that may disagree with the ideas that you have, right? And here's the big one, maybe disagree with your politics, whatever, they disagree with you. The people that you can't stand, how is your interactions around them? And how would you redirect that in light of the salt and light statements? How do we redirect how you and I communicate, interact with other people? And I know what you're probably going to say. Listen, Chad, my coworkers are hard and my boss is a jerk. All right, I get it. Not, not here. No. Hey, Brian, how you doing? All right. Not, not here. I saw some of y'all, as soon as I said it, some of y'all were like, no, we're, we're fine. We're fine, okay? All right, we're, we're like a family. Matter of fact, we call Al sometimes Papa Peeringer. If that gives you any idea, he's probably going to hate me for saying that, but we do. All right? But I get it. People are hard. They are a challenge, am I right? People are, especially the people you and I don't agree with. Oh, they are so hard to deal with. There are some people we don't even want to talk to, y'all. Don't know how it is. You'll be at Walmart pushing your buggy, and you see that one person you want to talk to, and you're like, oh, no, uh-uh. We've all been there. You've done the fake phone call. I can't be the only one. Hey, how are you doing, you know? Because you don't want to interact with these people. But here's the point of the, of, the, of, the, of the salt and light statements, okay? You ready? We don't get to choose who are salt and who are light, too. We don't have that option. Jesus never gave us the option. He didn't say, hey, these people you agree with, be salt and light to them because it's easy. Oh, but these people who are a challenge, who get on your nerves, who really, if it was socially acceptable, you would punch them in the face probably. Right? Be salt, we all have them. Be salt and light to them. Verse 16 says this. In the same way, let your light shine before others. See, there it is. Let your light shine before others, others, all people, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Light is this great anticipation of the Great Commission. The Great Commission we fall, we find at the end of Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew, to go into all nations, to preach the gospel, to make disciples and baptize. We know the Great Commission. And the mission is pretty clear. He wants his followers to positively impact their worlds in which they live in. The disciples of Jesus, they tied their message to Jesus' message of reaching the ends of the earth. When I say disciple, I don't mean 12 guys walk around in their bathrobes, okay? When I say disciples, I mean anyone who is a professing believer in Jesus, that we are, our message, our life is tied to the message of reaching the ends of the earth. Right? And here's the kicker. You and I, we don't get to opt out of that. We don't get to choose not to do it. We often treat the Bible like a buffet, you know? And I like buffets. Who don't like buffets, right? I'm going to make everyone hungry before we're done. So in a buffet line, we get to pick the food that we want. And I'll be honest, when I go through a buffet line and I sit down, my plate, it's not healthy. I'm going tell you that right now. It's not healthy. But we can choose what we want to do. When it comes to the things of who Jesus is and the things he commands us, we don't get to opt out of it. Following Jesus is either I'm all in, Lord, or, or I'm out. 
there is no wishy-washiness. There's no, uh, not today. We treat it as such. But we find in the Bible it's an all-in, all you're all-out kind of thing. And when Jesus gives us his mission, he tells us his commands. He calls to be salt and light. Because you're not getting, you don't get to opt out of that. To be a disciple means that you have, you have an outward focus, uh, right? Really, you're an outward, outward focused agent of the kingdom of God, letting people know that you are here to glorify Jesus and to point them back to them. And being salt and light means that you are here to preserve the things of God and to point people back to who Jesus is. And when we do these things, we bring glory and honor to our Father in heaven. Here's the cure. You and I, we, our job is just to be who God calls us to be, to be his witness, to be salt, to be light, to share the gospel, to make disciples. That is what we're called to do. God handles everything else, right? So maybe some of you are like, listen, the salt light thing, it sounds cool. Sounds cool. But man, that's a lot of pressure. You don't know the kind of people I'm around. There's some some bad folks. But we still are salt and light and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work. Our job is to live in obedience to him. It's to point back to people, to the one that we cling to, that there is hope in this lost world, that hope can be found in this crucified, resurrected Messiah, that that is the hope in which we point people back to. I always tell people, you are either pointing people to Jesus or away from Jesus, and the decision is yours. You're either pointing people to who Jesus is or you're leading them away. And we live as diluted, watered-down Christians. We're normally pointing people away from who Jesus is. But Jesus instead says, no, you be the salt, you be the light. Philippians chapter 2. I love Philippians. The book of Philippians is one of my favorite books of the Bible. If you never read the book of Philippians... You need to. The overall theme of the book is this overall theme of joy. We know Paul, God made it clear that he was going to teach Paul to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus, right? We know this, and he lived up to that. Paul indeed suffered for the name of Christ, but he never lost his joy. So go, look, go through the book of Philippians. But Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 16, we find this idea of being this light or this star shining translation you have might say different or might say both but it's this idea of you and i shining in the universe for all to see here's what it says verse 14 says this do everything without grumbling and arguing we tend to forget that verse right just no i like that right do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of god who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you ready shine like stars in the world and it tells us how by holding firm to the word of life then i can boast in the day of christ that i didn't run or labor for nothing when i was growing up i had these stars on my ceiling you've probably had them too you your kids may have them beyond the ones i'm talking about you you peel a little sticky backside of them you put them on your ceiling you put them on your wall and at nighttime, they're, they're made for kids who are scared in the dark. I wasn't scared, right? But it was to illuminate the room so they could see at night. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And they were very simple. You just pulled them off, and you stuck them on the wall, stuck them on the ceiling, wherever you want to stick them. 
And there, now, there was nothing about these things that made them shine. Like, there's nothing in, within how they worked, within them, that allowed them to shine. How they worked is they would absorb the light that was around them. So during the day, they would absorb as much light as possible from whatever light it was given. So at nighttime, when the kids went to bed, flipped off the light switch, got in bed, the stars would be illuminating in the room. I had some. They're really cool. But there was nothing about them that was special. There's nothing about them that made them glow, made them shine. It was the light that absorbed around them. When the Bible talks about being light, when it says shine and stars in the world, you and I have nothing within us that makes us shine. We don't. We have nothing in us that causes us to glow. We don't. The light that we're shining is the light of Christ. And the light that we're shining is the light that we are absorbing, if you would, through the time we spend in the Word of God. What does it tell us? Shine like stars in the world. Then it tells us how? By holding firm to the Word of life. This is a picture of you and me spending time in the presence of Christ. And here's the kicker. If the only Jesus time we get is on Sunday morning, Wednesday nights, then I'm going to make a bet that you're probably not salt and light as much as you think you are. Because our light shines its brightest the more we spend with Jesus. The more that I am in awe of who he is, the more my life is wrapped up into who he is, the person of him, the mission of him, the more of that light that's going to shine through me because there is nothing, I promise you, there's nothing good about me that, that you would know. But by spending time in his word and being all of who he is and being just, Lord, I want more and more of you, that light begins to shine. I tell the students all the time this. What I tell the students all the time. The more you spend and the more you experience of Jesus, the more of Jesus people are going to see in you. Like that's, just, that's just fact. Right? It's like when you hang out with, with someone you're close to, what usually happens? You start picking up each other's speech patterns, habits. We all know this. You start listening to people talk, all of a sudden, you know, you're like, like people will move somewhere, they'll pick up the accent, you know. The more we spend with Jesus, the more you and I look like Jesus. And the more you and I look like Jesus, oh man, the, the more salt and light we're going to be here on this earth. All for the glory of who Jesus is. Like That's the purpose. People often ask, what's the purpose of life? I'm going to tell you the purpose of life. You ready? To bring glory to God in all that we do. And to point people back to the hope of the world. Like that's it. You and I, when it's all said and done, we're going we're gonna to be, we're going to stand before God. We're going to be judged one day. And that judgment, it's not going to matter how much money you made. It's not going to matter how many friends you had. It's not going to matter this or that. The only thing that's going to matter is how well did you live up to this here on this earth? Right? And my prayer for us is that when that day comes, that God wants to go, you did well. You were salt, you were light because you lived up to the very things that I commanded you to do. So with this in mind, as we think about our life, my challenge to you is this, as we walk out these doors, as we, in just a minute, we're going to sing a, a praise together, as praise band leads us, maybe think about this. How do you and I stack up to the salt and light statements? 
where is it in our life that needs to be redirected and realigned with the person of Jesus? And for some of us, it's going to look different. For some of us, you know, you might be sitting there going, listen, I've been a doubter. I've been a skeptic. For the last time, I have not believed or I have been slow to believe in this Jesus guy. Or maybe it's just, you know what, I hear you, it sounds good, but man, my life is too messed up. I just don't know if I can get there. I got to clean some things up. That's the biggest lie anyone can ever tell you. You can't get clean to come to God. That's like trying to get clean before I took a bath. It makes no sense, right? Maybe for you, that first step in being salt and light is coming into relationship with Jesus Christ, right? We invite you that this morning. Listen, when the Spirit's pressing upon you, don't, don't, don't quench it. Don't say no. Respond in, 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 in obedience to the Spirit's leading. Maybe for some of you, like, listen, I've been a Christian for a very long time, but, but living up these salt and light statements, man, I'm missing the mark, right? May we come to God this morning and say, Lord, may you show me in my life the areas where I'm missing the mark that I need to uh, get rid of and to redefine and redirect, maybe realign. Or maybe sometimes, you know what? There's something else going on in your life. Maybe it's someone that is on your heart, something that's going on in your heart. Whatever it is that God is leading you, don't walk out of here without taking care of it. There's no better time than now to come to the Lord at the altar where we're in the pew and just give it all to him. So I'm going to pray in just a second and the praise man is going to come and lead as, as we sing songs to our Father and respond in whichever way the Holy Spirit is leading us this morning. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.